Anyone feeling weak this morning? <laughs> we just started our series on spiritual warfare. And I have to tell you, if ever there was a Sunday morning where it's like, I'm just, you know, Lord, you're going to have to work through my weakness. Just the, the, the way life goes. Some days you feel stronger than others. But honestly, a lot of days that strength is an illusion or perhaps pride. Or you think, oh, I'm strong today because of the things that I got done or because of the progress I made on that project. And that passage of scripture just reminds us all, hey, our strength comes from Christ. So today, we preach the word out of the strength of Christ. We receive the word out of the strength of Christ. We go live it out out of the strength of Christ. But this week, in our study on spiritual warfare, we understand that there is an enemy out there. There's a war being fought around us. But we don't know as much about this enemy or these enemies as we need to. Uh, I went and saw a movie this, this past week with, with some relatives, the new Mission Impossible movie. Which, I mean, I, come on. Tom, Tom Cruise and the thrill ride. Uh, but one thing the Mission Impossible movies are known for, those of you that have seen them, is the mask that they wear. Right? They wear a mask. It looks like somebody else. They even have the... The vocal changers, so they sound like that other person. Of course, when they're making the movie, it's it's going to be you know, that actor. And yet, at the dramatic moment, they pull off the mask, and, oh, it was Tom Cruise the whole time, or it was someone else the whole time. Or in the latest movie, I'm not going to spoil it for you, you don't know who the enemy is because the technology is swapping the faces. So on the camera, it looks like somebody, but in real life, it's somebody else. So it's always that mystery. Where's the enemy? You're scanning the crowd. It's got you on the edge of your seat. You're looking for that person or that, that system that is targeting uh, the, the good, right? And it's the classic good versus evil. And I think that principle very much applies in our spiritual life as well. Last week we saw the Bible is full of references to this invisible war going on around us. And it's fought between Satan and his demonic forces, which we'll learn about more in a minute. And also Christ, the kingdom of God that is coming down into this earth. And the evil forces don't like that so much. And the battlefield, ground zero, is the human soul. That is where the enemy wants to make ground. And that is what Christ is going to have the victory in and work his kingdom through. So that's the, the warfare going on. And we're supposed to stay alert and be vigilant for the enemy. But who is our enemy or enemies? Let's go back to Ephesians 6. We were there last week. We're going to start there this week. That will give us the framework. Then we need to do some more digging. <laughs> like I said, the Bible is full of passages. And when you look at the different books of the Bible, you get more clarity on these matters. I love it how Scripture speaks to Scripture and works together as a unified whole. Let's start in Ephesians 6, and I'll read verses 10 through 12. I encourage you to read along. This is the Word of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So we'll stop right there for now because that gives us the context. And the main point I'm going to communicate today, and I believe Paul is communicating to us from the inspired word of God, 
is that believers, Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, we face enemies on every side, but we can stand in the power of Christ, no matter who our enemy is. But let's look at enemy number one, Satan, the evil one. We're told in 1 Peter 5, 8, that the devil, he's our adversary. We need to be sober-minded, be watchful, be looking out, because our adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. I tell you right now, if a lion, a roaring lion, a wild lion, came in that back door right now, just so you all know, here is another exit. We'll, we'll switch that lock right there. We can all get out there. You don't mess around with roaring lions, whether they're hungry whether they are chasing something, we're all getting out of the way. You don't mess with a roaring lion. There's some other names used for the evil one as well throughout Scripture. He's called our adversary. So that's what devil means. Okay, Devil is not, he's got red horns and a pitchfork. Devil is actually a term that refers to adversary. He's against us because he's against God. And if you're a child of God, he's against you too. In the Greek, uh, the, the term is diabolos. Diabolos. Uh, so it means devil. It also could be translated slanderer. So tearing down or trying to tear down the people of God and the work of God with his lips. He's also called in the Bible Apollyon, the destroyer. It's also called Beelzebub, which means Lord of the Flies. Anyone read that book? Lord of the Flies. Could also be translated Lord of the dung pile, because that's where the flies gather. So that's not a flattering term, but that's how, how, how gross and detestable this evil one is. He's also called the father of lies and the prince of this world. And what we can tell from the background, this is our best picture because none of us were there. This happened apart from the created narrative in Genesis, but Isaiah 14, 12 gives us a hint. Now this devil used to be a shining one. He's an angel, a messenger of light, and he was most likely a chief angel, perhaps the chief angel of God's creation. We get a little bit more clarity in Revelation 12, where it says that this dragon, who was in heaven, didn't used to be a dragon, was then found to be proud, found to be an adversary, and kicked out of heaven. And when this dragon was kicked out of heaven, his tail swept one-third of the stars of heaven down to earth. If you know much about Revelation, you know there's a lot of vivid imagery and um, what we call apocalyptic imagery used in this text. It's not talking about literal stars swept by a table. We believe, because a few verses later, it talks about angels that were uh, complicit in his rebellion. So you have a chief angel turning against God, rebelling of his own free will. Well, made him do it. He chose to do it with his pride. And he took some angels with him. So maybe two-thirds of the angels, they stayed with God. It's the best that we can tell. And they're confirmed as his holy angels. They will not turn into demons down the road. They have chosen wisely. But it all started with pride. I will be like the Most High. And when you say, I'm going to be like the Most High, and you put yourself in first place, no. No. <laughs> there, there is no other. 
And because God is for us and he loves us, he made us to know him and to see the true beauty that is in Christ, and that is in God most high. There is no other like him. You can't say, I will be like God. There is no one like God. And for those of us that have understood our own complicitness in this rebellion, we were born in sin, but we are happy sinners to do our own way and break God's word as well. We also are rebels, and we were in that kingdom of darkness. But Christ opened our eyes to the light of the truth. And Colossians 1.13 tells us those who put their faith in Jesus for salvation, they've been delivered from that kingdom of darkness. We've been delivered to the kingdom of God's beloved Son. So we were complicit in that rebellion, but by God's grace, now we're on the winning side. We've switched sides. It's a marvel and a miracle that God would even give his enemies a chance at grace. But that just shows you how much more powerful Jesus is than the enemy. Well, he tries his hardest. He's been working for thousands of years, and he's not done, and he's up to some of his old tricks, but he's not going to win. Revelation 20, verse 13 tells us, The devil who deceived all the people on earth was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, and he will be tormented day and night forever and ever. He's defamed. He's defeated. It's written. It is done. So what we have now is the serpent, whose head has been cut off, he's still thrashing around. He's not going down without a fight to try to drag down as many people as he possibly can. So here's some takeaways that in our present day, how we should approach this enemy. First of all, stop giving him more credit than he's due. We have an enemy, but he's not God. He can't be everywhere at once. He can be in one location at a time. Now, sure, he's an angel, so he can move around pretty quickly. And he's been around for thousands of years. He's seen the council room of God. He's very wise and very shrewd. So don't take him lightly. But also, don't give him too much credit. He doesn't actually own you. He can't read your thoughts. He's more like a wolf on a chain. God's got to hold on the leash. He's snapping. He's snarling. He might scare you a bit. Don't mess with him, but... He cannot wreck your life. He's more powerful than us, but he cannot dominate on us. So how do we approach him? We be alert. We stay on guard. We are respectful to the fact that we do have an enemy. We need Christ's help to defeat him. And he will tempt us. He will try to get us to betray the Lord with our life. Because think about this. If he can't change your eternal destiny, and if he can't change what kingdom you belong to, the only thing he can try to do is try to get you to live differently than the way of the light that Christ has called us to walk. That's all. He actually can't do anything to you. He can just try to get you to desire something different from Jesus. So that's why, that's why we're told in... Uh, I'm sorry, yeah, Ephesians 2, right, Ephesians 2, do not give him a foothold in your life. Don't give him any ammunition to work with, right? Because he can't create anything against us. He can't do anything against us that isn't actually something that we yield ground to him. The Apostle Paul says something interesting in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 9. He says that 
There was a thorn given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan who was harassing me. It's harassing me, but it kept me from becoming conceited. We don't know who this messenger was. Was it a, a person? Was it a um, some, some depression? Some mental struggles that Paul had going on? Was it a specific temptation or flesh bent that he had? All we know is that Paul understood whatever the struggle is, it goes deeper than flesh and blood. I can't just solve this with medication. This is actual spiritual warfare. And I'm pleading with God to take it from me. But here's what Jesus said. He says, I'm not going to take it away from you. Because my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul, you think what you need right now is to live a carefree and, and relaxing life. And I'm telling you what you need to realize is that you are weak, but through your weakness, I will do much for my namesake and for my kingdom. So friends, don't be afraid of the devil. And when there are harassments and struggles in life, just admit you're weak and depend on Christ. And the devil will flee from you because he cannot stand against Christ. But if we tell ourselves, I'm strong enough, I can battle this on my own, I'll figure this out, you're very weak. And you're trying to solve it in your weakness. Instead, we solve our battle with the enemy on our knees. We depend on Christ. So don't tap out of your marriage. Don't tap out of life. Don't tap out of the church. Don't tap out of your personal spiritual disciplines. Satan might think he has you pinned. All Jesus does is walks over and flips him right on his back. Trust in Christ. We are vulnerable people, but we have the power of Christ over and in us. There's a second enemy we need to be aware of. Point number two, we need to be aware of the agenda of the evil forces. If the battle is for the human soul and humanity, we understand that there are systems in operation in the human experience. Governments, countries, philosophies, ways of thinking, harmful philosophies as well. So what's going on here is this wrestling is against what Paul says are rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, and over spiritual forces of evil. So Paul is thinking of worldwide the demonic forces that are trying to take the fallenness of mankind and accelerate it as far as possible away from God's design for our lives. To try to take people as far away as possible from the word of God and the truths that are contained here, the life that we have here. Why? Because Christ is uniting heaven and earth. That's what Ephesians 1 tells us, verses 9 through 10. There's a cosmic reconciliation. So the demons are trying to strategize, how do we prolong this? How do we try to keep the world enslaved in the chains of darkness? How can we sway their thinking so they'll think Christ is not good, that the word of God is harmful for your life, and to pull you away? There's wrestling here. There's jostling. And the enemy understands, you know, you can't try to just punch people in the face, but sometimes it's more effective to be subtle about it. Because if you can change their thinking or influence their thinking to embrace worldliness, to embrace the darkness, then they'll stay there. 
because that's what they want. We don't actually have to hold them in that. They're stuck because their minds and their hearts are, are, are impacted by that influence. We'll talk in a little bit about what that is, but here's some ways that you need to be on the lookout for how these demonic forces work. First of all, you can recognize the influence of demons because the biblical teaching is de-emphasized. They're de-emphasizing what God has already said. Satan's been doing it from the beginning. Did God really say not to eat of the fruit? You will not surely die if you eat. In fact, you'll be like God. Again, Satan can't create anything new. All he can try to do is twist and distort what God has given. And Ephesians 2.2 says that those who are in line with that thinking are called sons of disobedience. It's in our heart. We were born not wanting the way of God. Our fallenness wants us to enjoy this rebellion, this disobedience. So what are ways that the word of God is twisted or denied? Try to think of a couple of philosophies that are around us today. One that affected the early church, I was talking with some guys about earlier this week, is Gnosticism. Jesus is not really God come in the flesh. Um, and, and if you really want to know God, you need to go beyond the Bible. You need to find your own personal spiritual knowledge. Then you'll be on a higher plane than everybody else. What does that sound like? Pride. It's demonic. It's raising its head. You don't need to rely on this. What about universalism? It'll all work out in the end, regardless of what you believe. Even if you never heard or obeyed or, or put your faith in, and trust in Jesus, whatever you believe will all end up in the same place. It's the opposite of what God has said. It's twisted. It's wrong. It's going to be destructive to people who let that influence their thinking for the rest of their life. What about naturalism? Well, we believe that there's a spiritual warfare because we are spirit beings as well. And God's kingdom is beyond just what we see. But what if the, the demons can convince us that all we see is all there is? What our senses tell us. There's no afterlife. There's no heaven or hell. Just enjoy the life here and now. What a lie. And a clever one at that. Oh, there's no literal hell. And, uh, you know, you can believe whatever you want. It's just the same thing over and over. We're de-emphasizing the truth. And that's how we get to these issues where these are battleground issues. And we see them playing out around us. Rightly so, because it reflects the spiritual warfare going on. What about marriage? The battle for the sanctity of marriage. And how God has defined marriage. What about children? The value of children. The value of human life. Why should I value a human life if I was not designed by a creator and for a purpose? Do you see where these philosophies take us? They are destructive. People are dying because of them. Spiritual warfare does impact our daily lives. But thankfully, God's kingdom is on the move. Christ is rescuing people from these philosophies, from this way of thinking. I was just talking to a man the other day, and he's been influenced his whole life with a lot of different spiritual and philosophical thoughts. But he wants to start reading the Bible more. He wants to start reading the New Testament more. It's not Satan that's leading him 
to read the New Testament. It's the Spirit of God. So God is going to have his way, even over the philosophies and the strategies of the evil ones. So may I remind us, when we go out this week, if you are a follower of Christ, and you know the good news and have believed it, and the cross is your anthem, do not assume anyone you encounter has the same knowledge of God and the gospel that you do. America is way past the point of where you could just assume people were brought up in church and they have some kind of moral foundation. That's gone. We are past post-Christian. We are pre-Christian. And that's part of the reasons we're planting this church here. God's planting this church is because there are people here who need to hear the truth over and over and over and over and over and over and over again till it finally clicks by the Spirit of God, but they need someone who loves them enough and is patient to walk with them to answer their questions, to help them find that truth for themselves because they've been fed a lot of lives their whole life. So have we. And if we were so wrong and so astray before we met Christ and even can be wrong now, then we need to be humbly helping and seeking the truth and sharing that with others. Share the whole gospel. Don't let up. Don't let the devil make you think, oh, well, you know, they probably already know this. They say they're a Christian. Do not assume any of that. Here's the second thing. Oh, wait, no, I need, I need to share something really important with you. This is a heartbreaking study that I just saw recently. 94% of evangelicals were surveyed um, by Barna Research, and when they were asked, do you believe that Jesus is the best thing that could ever happen to somebody? 94% of them said, yeah. I don't know what the other 6% were, were thinking, but 94% said Jesus is the best thing that could ever happen to you. Okay, then let's pose a question to you. Do you think it is good and right to share your faith with someone else in the hopes that they too will embrace Jesus? 47% said no. That would be wrong. I, I can't put my beliefs on somebody else. That's the influence of the world. To make you think that this is just some subjective book, not the authoritative word of God, because it's not my opinion. It's the word of God. And now we've got churches that are doing more sermon series on movies and, and watching movie clips and teaching the word of God. And this is how we're in the mess that we're in. We need to be people of the word. We got to be hungry for the word. We got to truly believe that Jesus is more beautiful and precious than anything in this world. Another thing the enemy will try to do is to blind us uh, to the light of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 tells us that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to try to influence us, to try to hold us back. To hold us back with materialism. What you get, that's where your happiness is found. The stuff that you have. Uh, 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 individualism. I can figure things out on my own. Do we see that in our society? It's all over. And unfortunately, it's influenced the church too. What about COVID-19? Now you're hearing this mantra over and over and over. The church is not the building. The church is not the building. The church is not the building. You know, that is true in a sense. The church is not the building. You know what the word church means? Assembly. A coming together of the called out ones to worship the Most High God who gave up his life to rescue you. And instead, we have a bunch of Christians now. Our, our church attendance has about dropped in half 
in America. And this is the mantra. You don't have to be in church. You don't have to read your Bible. I can still go to heaven and do the most minimum steps of faith. In fact, even my kids. I'm not going to push my spirituality on my kids. I'm not going to make my kids go to church. After all, they should decide for themselves. It's not like there's a roaring lion seeking to devour our children. And we just say, figure it out, kid. I figured it out. You'll figure it out. Good Lord. There are enemies seeking for the soul. How do we know the truth? Get familiar with it. Get familiar with this book. I like to smell mine because it's got nice leather skin. But maybe you don't smell yours. That's okay. But use all of your senses when reading the Word. It's not just another book. It's not just another text. It's the truth. I have, I have a mentor and, and professor, uh, Dr. Chuck Lawless, who tells the story of a junior high. He went to Washington, D.C., and he took a tour of the U.S. Department of Engraving and Printing. And so you see how the money gets made. And you see the people who handle it and work with it. And he, they come to this department, and they see a bunch of employees handling, rubbing, and smelling real money. The real thing. It's interesting. Surely you could just tell by looking at it. But the guide explains to these students, counterfeits are so cleverly made these days, it's hard to tell the real thing from what's fake. And the best way to train our people is they are rubbing, smelling, looking, and examining every detail of the real thing. Do we approach the Word of God in that way? Oh yeah, I'm... I've read parts of the Bible. I think I know what Jesus would say about this. And this has got to be a part of our breathing, our life. Because if we're going to be oriented to the supernatural work of God going around, going on around us and in us, we've got to be centered on his plane. We've got to see things as he sees it. We've got to know the word. We've got to live the word. And that's why we're committed to going deeper in the word and living it out. So small groups play a, a strategic part of that. That it's no longer, well, just come to church, listen to Pastor Josh, listen to Pastor Dennis, and then you go home the rest of your week. It kind of looks like every other person's week in America, whether they know Christ or not. And then come back on Sunday, and then you hear, this is not a, a papal system. This is not, God has given you his word. What's holding you back? from knowing and enjoying and loving him and sharing him with others. As small group, we say, here's how we discuss and apply it. Now go and do. How can we help you do that? What resources do you need? How can we pray for you? Where could you start a Bible study so someone else can know the truth? And what are we doing? Week after week, we're taking back the ground from the evil one. And as our groups grow and get full, we multiply out and we take more ground for the kingdom. I can't wait to see where we'll launch our next small group. And the one after that, and the one after that. We're thinking kingdom agenda. And we do that by making disciples. I might be going a little long today, so I'm going to go right there to our third point. Our third enemy. I said we have an enemy on every side, and I meant it. Because we have an enemy on the inside. We have a traitor in our midst. It's not Mark, okay? It's actually me. <laughs> it's all of us. Those who have put their faith in Jesus, we were rescued from the kingdom of darkness, but 
we have some old flesh habits and desires and tendencies that don't just go away overnight. Um, you can think of it in the, the ancient terms of the Trojan horse, the story from the Iliad. The Greeks are attacking the city of Troy. They stand no chance of defeating them, so they act like they're retreating. And they roll up this big wooden horse. Did this actually happen? Did it not happen? We think that it happened, but it's a, it's a little hazy. It's a great story, though. They roll this big wooden horse up with some Greek soldiers hiding inside. And, and the Trojans say, great, a gift. We're the victors. They bring the horse inside the gates. And at night, the enemy soldiers creep out, kill the guards at the gates, open the gates, and the enemy floods in. That is the human soul after we have been delivered for freedom. We're the ones opening the gates back up again because it's tempting because the enemy entices us and all that. That would feel so good if we did that. Another example you could use is corrupt coding in a system. When Christ took over our lives, he separated that broken code that was going to be a virus to your system. It's been disconnected but it's still around. And we know all too well what our flesh bents are, what entices us, and it's just so easy, easy to reconnect that code for that quick impulse, for that feeling, for you know, that vindication. Whatever your flesh bent is, Galatians 5.17 tells us this is a battle as well. It's the desires of the flesh against the Holy Spirit who's inside of you. Who's going to win that battle? It's the Holy Spirit of God. So don't give Satan a foothold. Arm yourself with, with the Word of God. And we're going to look at next week how you arm yourself with the armor of God for this war inside of your soul. Don't give Satan a foothold. Say no to sin. Stop feeding the flesh. Stop feeding the appetite. Of course, whoever you feed in a dog fight, the bigger dog... It's going to win, right? Now, here's what I'm not saying. If you're a child of God walking in the Spirit, then you know you can have perfect days, and you will, you will say goodbye to the flesh forever, and you can finally emerge out of your cocoon fully sanctified in this life. Unfortunately, I don't think I've lived a perfect day in my life. So spiritual maturity is not measured by perfection. Spiritual maturity is measured by how quickly do I repent of my sin and turn back to Christ. It's humility. Humility is a mark of spiritual maturity. So you might say, oh, I failed in that area ten times in the past week. Am I even a Christian? Well, the fact that you feel remorseful and shameful about that says something. Come back to Christ. Jesus, I failed again. I'm so weak. Will you strengthen me? Will you forgive me? Will you heal me? Will you restore me? Seek his direction and his forgiveness. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy and put on your armor of God. So as we conclude this week, we know that there's a war going on around us. We know better who our enemies are. What are you going to do with that knowledge? Are we going to go home and live exactly how we have before, or do we have a battle plan in place? Here's how I need to guard my thoughts. Here's how I need to say no to materialism. I know that's a struggle in my life. How do I 
what are some ways I can work on that and say no to materialism and live for the kingdom of God? I know some of us, that's fasting and prayer, denying the flesh specifically to focus on what God has planned for me. That's a great strategy. Maybe it's every morning I'm going to get up and I'm going to start my day reading the Bible. And I'm going to go through Ephesians. Ah, I want to know more about Ephesians. Talk about spiritual warfare. But part of that battle plan needs to have accountability as well. Satan wants to get you alone and make you feel like you cannot win this battle. You need brothers and sisters by your side who love you and are going to shoot straight with you and help you walk the life that Christ has called you to. That's why Living Hope Church is here. We want to help you grow in your spiritual walk and to be able to say no to the lies of the evil one in your spiritual journey. But take heart. One day we will be safely home because Jesus has already opened the way with the cross, with his blood, and with the empty tomb. Have you put your faith in him? Today can be the day that you do that, if you have not. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. This spiritual war is an alarming thing. It's a scary thing, and, and it's so difficult because we realize, Lord, we don't have the weapons to fight this. We don't have the strength to fight on our own. Jesus Christ, we need you. Even in this response, how do we respond in a spiritual, truthful, Christ-honoring way? We need you to guide us. We need your word to sink into our hearts and our minds. And God, I, I don't want to assume the gospel. I don't want to assume anyone here knows already everything about how to have a relationship with you. So... So Jesus, thank you so much for giving us the truth of your word that shows we are sinners on our way to an eternal separation and judgment from you because we have rebelled against you. But thank you that the cross is the answer. Thank you that when I was six years old, Lord, you opened my eyes to see my need for you. And I pray for anyone in this room, young, older, single, married, we would see we all need you as our Savior and Lord. Direct us, God. Fill us with your Spirit and use us for your purposes. Help us to not go through life alone, but to cling to the power and the, and the cross of Jesus Christ and help us to lift each other up as we walk through these, these hairy trials of life. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you do for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.